0: Hey, welcome back to Dirty Pink Okami. Before I get into the episode, I have an announcement. My latest poetry book, War Dreams, is now available on Amazon. If you type War Dreams Samantha Clark into the search bar, it'll come up, or you can also find the link in my Twitter bio, which as always is at Comic Wisdom. If you do end up buying it, you can help me out by leaving a review. Um, so far I have a couple people promising to, but there's nothing like live on Amazon yet, and it really, really helps get the evil Amazon beast to notice you if you have more reviews. So thank you in advance, and check it out! So to get into it, first of all I want to say I'm not here to try to argue that Natalie has never said a less than woke thing, or made an off-color joke, or handled every extremely complex topic she discusses with absolute perfection. I'm not here to argue that no one should ever be asked to account for behavior that people feel is harmful, especially if it becomes a pattern. I'm not even here to talk specifically about Natalie, although I'm going to center this podcast episode around her because she's an excellent example of the broader dynamic I'm trying to address. I'm doing this episode because someone has to say something about the way our toxic sludge pool of a left internet culture is hurting us, and we do not have time for it. Natalie Wynn, a.k.a. ContraPoints, is a left YouTuber who talks a lot about the issues of the day. She's made videos about incels, for example, and the weird alt-right and outright fascist corners of YouTube and 4chan and Reddit and so on. She's made videos about gender and dysphoria and beauty. She's made videos about the left and racism and capitalism. In other words, she's confronting a broad array of pressing topics that are on everyone's minds, especially on the internet. She's delving into complicated issues in what I think is an extremely brave way, and as much as she disavows her academic history with philosophy, she very clearly applies a nuanced dialectical approach as well. I don't agree with every single position she takes, but I'm a huge fan of hers, and it's because I deeply respect her honesty, courage, nuance, and precision in taking on the things she does. Particularly because, for those of you not in the know, Natalie is a trans woman. And not just that, but a trans woman who has made her transition over the course of her show, meaning she's positioned herself as someone grappling with some of the most sensitive issues in the discourse today, while also publicly transitioning, as a woman, on the internet. Keeping that in mind, I want to talk about the reactions Natalie gets, particularly on Twitter, when she says anything at all that anyone thinks is off-color or misses some nuance, or even just when she says something in a less than clear way and everyone assumes she meant the worst possible version of what she could be saying. I saw her get called a reactionary piece of shit for joking about genocide and skull measuring, which I can understand feeling a joke is too far, inappropriate, or inadvertently offensive. But Natalie is very clearly making jokes about these horrors in order to draw attention to You know, the horror of them. And it's not like she only makes jokes, either. She has literally made a career out of clearly and carefully dissecting the problems in our society and the ways people are hurt and have been hurt throughout history. If you don't like her jokes, okay, that's fair. It would even be fair to address it with her, like make an argument for why you think the jokes undermine her goal. I don't think that's usually the case myself. I think she does an actually really, really good job most of the time handling jokes about these deeply deeply horrific things with care. But I would listen to an argument, and I think Natalie would too. She's demonstrated over and over again that she listens to her audience and wants to do right by the issues she's addressing. But calling her a reactionary piece of shit? Honestly, this is my issue. What does a person have to do to earn enough benefit of the doubt to not be written off as right-wing the instant a joke hits the wrong nerve? Here's why I think this is so important to address. It's bad enough, honestly, the way that the impatient, distrustful, woke all jokes are evil internet left looks at folks like the guys at Chop Boat Trap House or whatever, like these straw men for everything that genuinely does suck about oppressive dynamics replicating themselves on the left. Fine, pick on the white guys. They can take it. I don't think it's useful myself, but it at least makes sense, and it doesn't cause quite the same kind of deep harm to our movements. But when someone like Natalie Wynn, again, A publicly transitioning trans woman on YouTube. Or Chelsea Manning, a fucking whistleblower hero who's currently in prison for her service to all of us, also a trans woman, who tried to kill herself last year because of the cruelty of the internet when she made a mistake. When these people are cancelled the instant they show their capacity for human error from the vulnerable positions they put themselves in for our sakes, I can't keep my shit together. It makes me furious. And it makes me sad. Because if we can't defend even these people, give them space to be human, trust them even a little bit, then how the fuck are we ever supposed to trust each other enough to save this goddamn planet? We're all traumatized. There are people of color who find Natalie and Chelsea both off-putting at times because they're both white and make the mistakes of white people, and that makes sense. Unless you're at the intersection of every single oppression, you're going to make the mistakes associated with whatever privileges you do have, and that's going to hurt people who don't have those privileges. That makes sense. But holy shit, y'all. If we can't figure out how to come together still and protect each other and build each other and make space for humanity amongst ourselves, then we're genuinely doomed. We don't have time for this. I just read an article that Vice published June 3rd saying human civilization will collapse by 2050 if shit doesn't change right away. 2050. That's 30 years. Cancel culture is toxic. It's so emblematic of the hyper-alienated, individualistic culture we were raised in. There's nothing left about it, if I'm being frank. A truly left culture would be one that fosters community, that encourages action, that celebrates human vulnerability and honesty, that loves, not one that tears apart some of our most vulnerable, most active comrades, people who've put themselves out there despite their very existences being at the most marginalized corners of society, and despite even the left that they're fighting for treating them like dirt at the slightest sign of imperfection. It's easy to shoot at someone under a spotlight from a dark corner. So, cancelling is cancelled. It's not allowed anymore. Find a way to work with what and who you have. Work it out. It's what workers have always had to do to get the job done. To me, that's at the core of what Marx himself meant when he talked about the way capitalism creates its own gravediggers. Capitalism has forced us, the workers, to learn how to work together to get shit done, and that is the key to our escape from it we have to start realizing how incredibly meta that is. A materialist approach, in my opinion, does not and should not exclude the human material. We are the change, but only when we're we. I believe we're capable of it, but we have to get shit together. And that starts with having enough compassion for ourselves to make space for our own trauma and our own mistakes, while also having enough compassion and trust for each other to make space for everyone else's. I want to say thank you to my patrons on Patreon who've subscribed at $5 or more. That includes Becca Edwards, James P. Mullen, Joel Campbell, and Dead Wolf. Thanks to everyone for listening to this brief episode. I, I needed to get this off of my chest, and um, I'll try to have uh, more episodes up for you soon, hopefully with more interviews. Um, I'm working on a few big projects, so they're kind of slow moving, but there's more coming. I want to close out with a few poems from War Dreams, which again, you can find on Amazon if you're interested. This first one is called Trans Women Are Women. I wrote it for Natalie after the first time I witnessed the pylon in response to something she said about gender that I honestly believe was just broadly misunderstood. I felt an urgency to defend her and to explain how much her honesty about her experience as a trans woman meant to me as also a woman, even though I'm a cis woman. So much of what she said about her experience resonated with me so deeply. I realized how important it was that most of what she described as her experience as a trans woman was basically indistinguishable in quality from my own experience as a cis woman. The main difference, honestly, seems to be the quantity of abuse and struggle. That's not really a radical statement in a lot of ways. Trans women are women, and they're one of the most deeply oppressed categories of women. But it matters because the subtleties are so often missed. So this is trans women or women. It is with corsets, contours, belts and bustles, that ever-looming device, the high-heeled shoe, the way of holding one's fingers more for display than for use. It is to practice how to make intonations, how to say the words mattering more than what they mean, the way the lips are set when one isn't talking. If there is essence to woman, It is only this becoming more of oneself using all the tools of falseness if there is a difference between cis woman and trans woman it is only this whether those tools are seen as uniform or costume sisters deeply sisters more sisters than my brother is my brother you i know understand how the pageantry is also not a charade how being woman differs not between, but from. How little and how much that means. This next one is called Andromeda. We do not dance the way planets do anymore. Once, through most of our moment in universal history, we looked up at around instead of inward. Individualism, they insist, is the pinnacle of human liberty but I've heard the voice of a man who lived in a box alone for decades. It was as far from the voice of planets and stars as the cold steel spires on the tops of skyscrapers, screeching in the high wind. No one is free alone, especially not bodies made of skin and water and iron-rich organs, souls made of magnolias and pears, spirits made of blue and the twinkle of a creek in the moonlight. We do not dance the way planets do, because we have forgotten what it means to be a galaxy. This last one is called, I implore us all. Collect. Interweave. Love one another more than thyself. Grow patience for a broken humanity. Grow impatient with time. Learn how to trust with reservation. Be more of a body, a collection of bodies than you have ever imagined yourself. This is their greatest fear, that you become more a body than a tool, that you become an ocean of organic matter, fighting for flesh and being, screaming at the top of your lungs. We are. See one another, and you won't need them to see you. Make the way for them to become us. Make the way for us to become truer for lack of them. Urgency overwhelms need, unravels an individual life, and stretches us all into wider, into we. We can't afford to wait until we have nothing left to lose to start fighting.